0: On this week's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Cheryl Thompson. Cheryl is the corporate courage coach. She liberates leading women to be heard and seen on their terms. Cheryl is a phenomenal leader who empowers you to be fearless, proud, and in control. Cheryl, my dear, absolutely thrilled, delighted, excited to have you on my Purpose Dead Leadership podcast. We've been uh, friends and become really close friends over the last few months and done loads of content together. I really love what you're doing, love you as a person and uh, I'm so thrilled to have you on because um, you inspire me, you inspire so many other people but I want to delve as deep as possible into your journey, your story and really find out a bit more about you. So firstly, introduce yourself and uh, if you wouldn't mind sort of going back as far as possible, talk to me about and the audience about your journey from where you, when you were born all the way up to now. Wow,
1: that's, I mean I'm 41 on, so that's a long journey you so I'll it. try and give you the um, highs and lows instead of just the mediocre bit in the middle so um Cheryl Thompson I call myself the corporate courage coach just because I think you have to have balls to work in the corporate world and how do you do that how how do you go about doing that so that's who I am um by the way I should actually correct that saying you have to have balls you have to have balls or ovaries you have to have something <laughs> that gives you a bit of function you don't have to be male um probably can tell I'm a feminist with my latest comment so where did I start with if my mother was here she would tell you I was a born leader and a born coach because I always took care of humans always cared about them in the school playground if you fell down I was the one that picked you up if I was the captain of teams um every sport team going athletic team that was me because I brought people together and I like to see how we um we achieved as a unit that was a real big deal for me so that that was always where I came from um went into financial services spent a long time there leading humans caring about people caring about processes efficiency um and I was always that person that there was always a human behind every single thing I did didn't matter what we did there was always a human being and that's what drove me to make it the best or the most amazing or the most efficient Um, and then I ended up in coaching, but that's my really whistle stop tour, by the way. Yeah. I'm happy to go back and delve into some of the other things. So actually what created the human that sat here in front of you. I've sort of done a really fast version of it. No,
0: that's absolutely absolutely fine. I mean, mean, you've touched on things like, uh, in in our discussions, burnout and breaking your shoulder, I think it was. You've had difficulty with your family. I think you've touched on, uh, with me, um, some stuff around bullying at school and all that kind of stuff. So I, I guess the question would be, you know, talk to me about your first experience of kind of, adversity mental health well-being that kind of that kind of stuff
1: okay so I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you two if that's okay so and the reason I'm gonna say this is because I talk often about trauma that we receive in childhood and people assume when you talk about trauma it has to be that you've been abused or hurt somehow or some bad human has come in and done something to you so absolute transparency I had a wonderful family and I still do you know, I, I had a mother that would have died for me. An amazing human. I had the big sister that was my advocate. I mean, don't get me wrong, we scrapped a lot. But she yeah. she was then and still is my huge supporter. Um, So, wonderful family. However, I think the first thing that I remember vividly, something happening and sort of shaking my foundations, was my parents getting divorced. And Ben mind, I'm 41. So when they got divorced, it was in the sort of mid to late 80s that that was going on. And I remember being told about the divorce and being told really positively from both my mother and father that this wasn't a problem. Divorce wasn't a problem. They Mm. both loved me. They both loved my sister and they just wanted the best for us. Mm. I also got told I'd get two sets of presents at Christmas and birthdays. So tell me what was there to be a problem about, right? Mm. It's a win-win. I've got two lovely houses and everyone's happy. Mm. But my sister cried quite a lot. She was upset. And she was older than me. So this is where I would say my first trauma came from. Sounds really random this, but I started to feel on the outside of my own family because they were always cuddling my sister and making sure she was okay. And I started to think, is she dying? And I don't know. And they've just not told me. Because I was about eight at the time. And started to like get a bit anxious because what's going on? And no one ever knew because I was this very happy child. But I just remember feeling... Cut out from a big secret. Yeah. Truth was, there wasn't a big secret. She just was older and was a bit more aware of what divorce meant than I did. But the fact that I thought there was a problem meant there was a problem. And my eight year old brain dealt with that like I'd been rejected or abandoned from some kind of family unit and I was being kept at arm's length. Mm -hmm. And that sort of sticks with you. And I remember thinking, I never leave anyone on the outside of something. I remember sort of just thinking, I just want to know. And we also make things up, don't we? In mm. the absence of telling somebody something, your brain creates this bigger problem or bigger issue. Yes. And yeah. that's what I went yes. out and did. Yeah. So that was my first one. And I'll tell you my second one um, years later. But and this sounds like I went to the like out and out worst school ever. But we were, I was bullied at school. I had really long hair and it was sort of you wouldn't believe it now, but it's quite blonde, blonde, nice brown. And I, my mum had always brought me up to be a lady. I mean, don't know what happened later on in life. But as a young girl, I was a lady and I would flick my hair and I would walk through school and I was in the top set and I cared about studying and I did sports, as I mentioned earlier. So at lunchtime, I'd go and do athletics and high jump and long jump. So, so I was that kind of girl, you know, that just kept self to herself. Mm. Had a good set of friends. Um, and then my first boyfriend, like, and when you say boyfriend, I mean, not boyfriend, but boyfriend. You know, I was about fourteen, and um, and he was a year older than me, and like cool. And it just so happened that the hardest girl in school liked him, so she wanted to go out with him instead. So she started bullying me, and I'm not a fighter. I couldn't fight if my life depended on it. Even though I, you know, I'm quite tough in other ways. Yeah. Violence is not yeah. for me. It's right. never been for me, um, which is a bit. But I've got a mouth. So she would kick my head in. And I mean stamp on me, kick right. me, and they would it would get hold of me and it would be a boy on this arm and a boy on that arm, older than me, hold me back just so she could attack me at school. Mm. So that went on for about eighteen months. And the real top point of it, and this is this was a real significant moment for me in life. And it's mm. still and it can sometimes, by the way, make my voice shake a bit but mm. I was in science class and I remember the teacher I remember sat there and our school was quite a modern built school so you could be sat in class with your Bunsen burner and above <laughs> you there was I know there was um, like a hallway but it was where the teachers went from each other's office so that and it was glass yeah. so you could sort of see from your classroom like ankles walking past mm. but we weren't allowed up there it was just for teachers so this group of girls and boys huge compared to me were up these stairs and they were banging on the floor to get my attention as I was in class, and everybody was like that, yeah because mm. everyone was scared of them. Um, about ten of them in total, and the teacher was a young, newly qualified teacher. And as we came downstairs, I went—I won't say her name—but went, Miss Law, can I stay in your class? because they're waiting for me outside and they had scissors. I should have mentioned that they were threatening me with scissors through the, the glass sort of thing. Yeah. Um, they were, I don't think they were going to stab me by the way, but they had this thing about cutting hair, hair off. So they would get hold of your ponytail and just cut through it and they had done it to another girl. So I said, miss, is it okay? If I just stay in this class, I've got English next with my favorite, and he was my favorite teacher. So I knew he would be for call with it. And I went, and I'll, if I'm late, you won't mind, I'll just explain what's happened. And they were listening to this, by the way. They were just stood in the doorway laughing. And she said, no. I said, I know you haven't got a class after this. Just let me stay here. They'll have to go. Mm. They, they've got scissors. They're going to do something. Let me yeah. stay. And I was yeah. begging this. She's got to be in her, like early to mid-20s. Please let me stay. Nope, you need to go. I was in like such a like trauma and shock that someone could do this so as I walked out of the classroom and I remember thinking again a bit of a detail but mm. I'll go on left or right and if you go right it takes you to where only the teachers were allowed so you weren't allowed down that corridor yeah. but I thought I'm gonna go right because I'll bump into a teacher and I'll take a detention for it sure but at least I'm gonna bump into one it's that sorry it's making my throat shake that's okay So as I was walking still in shock that she's like, and I could hear them behind me, but I wouldn't have ran because that's just not me. I'm not letting you see I'm scared. Wow. So I walked, sort of nose in the air like this, waiting either for a teacher or for them. And they, it, they got there first. And I remember they got hold of me. Um, and I ended up being spun back around to the way I'd come. And the teacher was watching me get attacked. No. And they again got hold of me. And they were had all of my hair, and they were punching me in the face, and kneeing me, and trying to drag me around. And every single blow that these this group gave me, sorry, just right. didn't, didn't hurt. I know it sounds like it just didn't hurt because nothing hurt as much as watching her watch that.
2: Yeah, of course.
1: Just looking at her, thinking, do something. Just I mean, do, say something.
0: Wow. I mean, you know what she
1: did, Chris? Go on, go on. She shut the door. She watched me, turned around, shut the door and walked away. Seriously. And then I got attacked.
0: It's almost as if she's getting a kick out of this. It I mean, I, I can't. Oh, she you can't. was
1: terrified. She, she was, I could see she was terrified. Yeah. And I remember carrying on letting these blows. And this is the bit that changed me, I think, because who I was as a human? Because I could see how afraid she was. Yeah. I knew it. I could see it on her face. They knew it. They found it funny. And I, this is, my sister always laughs with this because she calls me the Hulk. She says, you've got a long fuse but when you go, you go. Yeah. And I ended up thinking, and I I was about to swear there, I don't know if I can swear on you. Of course you can. <laughs> I was thinking, what the fuck is she doing? <laughs> yeah. And I knocked these people. I just sort of moved my arms and no joke, these two boys that I'd got hold of me just hit the you know, the walls. And I remember just saying to them, that best be your make sure that's your best fucking shot. Cause you're done. You'll never touch me again. Brilliant. I was furious. Yeah. They were terrified. But as I walked off, I was so angry. Mm. I, thought, I will never be afraid. That grown woman was afraid and was willing to sacrifice a child. So she didn't have to face up to something. Yeah. That was her paid for job. So even if you're, a bit of a wanker you're getting paid to do the right thing but don't be a wanker in the first place. I will I remember thinking I'll never leave someone afraid like I no. was you'll wow. never be stood on your own if I'm there
0: god the way and that it
1: changed you, me forever
0: the way that you've just described that I you know very vivid I felt as if I was actually in in that room or that or that or that um situation oh, myself yeah. but I feel that when people say things either happen to you or for you, clearly you frame that oh. as happened for you because in a, in a perverse yeah. way, do you not feel that that's really made you what you are now?
1: Yeah. I have no, no regret for that, none whatsoever. For all the things that have happened in my life, they haven't happened to me, they've happened for me. I'm an mm. absolute believer in that. And that mindset and that perspective helps me even today. Um, if something happens so last year nothing to do with Covid I had quite a difficult year and I would say that nobody knew about it not because I was pretending to be okay my family did people closest to me but probably beyond that nobody did and I think even my family say to me we don't know how you managed and got through that and Mm. how I got through it is knowing that in every pile of shit that you get thrown at you as a gift yeah and it's perfectly made for you in that moment so find your gift and be grateful for it and you'll be better because of it the bigger the trauma the bigger the triumph
0: i mean this is the purpose-led leadership podcast and what i'm picking up from you is that before you even describe those two horrific instances obviously that your parents getting divorced and that you know that horrific um experience that you're still choked up about like i can see mm. that but you must have mentioned the word human five, six, seven times before you even got there. And and when you talked about, you know, you being fucked off that the teacher didn't do anything, it's almost as if you've got this inbuilt thing where anyone, any human doing something bad to another human or any human that isn't being uh, a compassionate person, that's your fuel, that's your purpose. I mean, talk to me about what your purpose is. I'm, I'm just getting the sense that you're driven by by values and you're driven by doing the right thing you're driven by doing um you know making sure humans are being human beings to each other what would you say to that
1: well definitely i'm human driven before after during everything's about human even um artificial intelligence is about human so we've got to care about that i mean i say we've got to so many people don't but i have no choice i'm that person that um that really northern person that speaks to everyone as she walks down the street mm. My friends used to joke. I worked down in London. I lived lived and worked down in London for a good number of years. And my London friends and my best friend to this day, we worked together. And she was like, "Whenever we leave work, we have to leave an hour early so we can get Cheryl out the door because she'll help the cleaner. She'll help the CEO. Because I knew everybody, you know. And, and I used to help the cleaner almost. I'd be like, "Do you want me to carry those bags out for you?" Yeah. And then the next week, I'd be speaking to the CEO, doing a conference or a workshop with her, and there was no difference for me because we all came into the world the same way and we will all go out of it the same way. What we do in between is wonderful, but it's not the measure of you unless unless you make it the measure of you, but it we're yeah. still humans. There's no judgment there for you. It
0: it just feels like with you, you 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 seem to have found your purpose quite early on around you're now a coach and it's I think you're right. We all we are all gifted in some way and I think the trick mm-hmm. is once you once you found what your calling is, what your, your true vocation is and you're sticking to your values, you know, your life can be really, really fulfilling as well. I mean, talk to me about how your life has changed over you know, your career as well, because you haven't always been doing this. I mean, ha- has your purpose changed? Um, talk to me about, I mean, you have talked about burnout with me as well. Talk about that, mm. that, that, that stage of your life I'm interested in.
1: Yeah, so burnout for me, I couldn't even say it's... Um, I, I would say I've burned out once catastrophically which is where I had the broken collarbone and body and mind. And I've probably burned out many burnouts before then. And I think I was the perfect candidate for burnout. I, I was made to burn out and experience that. Mm. And it, the reason being is because I've, be, I've always been brought up to be independent, self-sufficient, fix your own shit. So I always knew how to um, deal with my problems and work my own stuff out, um, ask the right questions, get the right answers. I didn't really need people. I mean, I had people, but I didn't need them. So it made me a great leader in the sense that I could go out and lead independently from day one. Um, I was always, I had a very strong, an amazing relationship with my grandfather, um, just to jump back a bit. And he was a very values driven man and would always speak to me about, um, connecting with people on a human level. He said, even if it's for a second, as you walk past them in the street, just smile, just say Mm -hmm. hello. So, um, that was instilled in me really, really early on. And always to be compassionate and understanding of people because you don't know what other people's trauma is, only what, they, what you show them. So I took that into my leadership as well. Um, so, but, so I was this independent, compassionate person that always thought about other people's feelings, always cared what they were going through. And it potentially meant that I didn't quite focus on what was going on with me. Yeah. And I always wanted to be the best I could be i used to i don't know if you saw my posts last week um or the week before saying something along the lines of my old school mantra you're only as good as yesterday's results yeah meant i was perfect burnout because i was always pushing for more 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 and if i achieved it what i achieved i was like and then move on to the next one
2: yeah so i just
1: completely (laughs) dismissed my wins and only ever looked at my like what i could do better at Mm. um perfect burnout candidate Mm. because you'll never stop so don't get me wrong there was an absolute responsibility for the of the companies that I worked for they without a doubt helped me along the lines of burnout and I think I was their perfect employee because I never stopped I was like the Duracell bunny give me more work
0: what what was what was the transition what was the deciding factor for you to kind of hang up your you know corporate boots and go out go go alone what happened
1: I wish I could tell you a really exciting story. I'd always known I wanted to do this and I was always building up to it because it was just in my heart to to help people. So why not do a job? That's your heart job instead of anything yeah. else. So I always knew I would. But when the time came, my uh, the guy that I worked for, um, he was about to I'd set up a programme and, and he was about to give me another one set up financial services um we dealt with financial at that point my product i call it my product was financial crime because i can set anything up it's just what so at that time it was dealing with financial crime within banks he was about to give me another one and i literally just in that meeting said no and he he didn't know that was coming so he was like what and I said to my boyfriend, we, we worked in the same city together. So we'd had lunch and had a walk around Leeds. And I said, I think I'm going to leave this afternoon. And um, looked at his face to see if he had any, you know, considerations. I said, what do you think? And he said, it doesn't matter what I think. He said, because you've always known what you want to do. And you're pretty much always right. He said, so yeah. I trust you to make the right decision. And I said, well, I don't know yet. And he says, well, you'll know when you know. And I walked into the meeting and I knew and, and I left the week before lockdown. I said I'd help them get things set up and handed over to someone and then I would leave, which is what I did.
0: You mentioned that you broke your collarbone. I mean, that's that's not a small thing. What what happened?
1: <laughs> well, that was the burnout um, four years, four years, four years earlier. And I'd been working sometimes 23 hour days. So I trained myself to not need not need much sleep. I could sometimes leave the office at one in the morning and be back in the. And I would I was obsessed with the gym as well. Yeah. So I would go to the gym. I would run in the pitch black to the gym, work out for two hours. Um, I would do four back to back classes and they were half hour classes. And because they were half hour, they didn't do a warm up and a warm down. They just went straight in. So essentially, I just did four hours of high intensity. Uh, sorry, two hours of high intensity mm. exercise, and then I'd run to work. And I used, this is how I think for me is a trigger, I used to get, I used to time everything I did because I thought it was being efficient. So I'd time how long it took me to run from the gym to work, I'd time how long it took me to shower, because we had a gym, at, at shower facilities at work, Yeah. how long it'd take me to get ready. And I was always trying to shave time off. I was always trying to be quicker and better yeah. and work yeah. out a better process for but, it so I could fit more into my day. Um. And then I did that with every single thing I did. Every single thing. And sometimes I wouldn't get to bed till one and then, like I said, I'd be back up again. Um, And I did that for years. I was living in a hotel for two... I lived in a hotel for over two years. So I was living out of bags constantly. um, All over the country. Sometimes I'd wake up in one city and not know where I was going to sleep. Um, And my friends still wanted to see me. I remember this one summer, I worked out how many weeks I was booked up and I was booked up for two months in advance to see all different people because everyone wanted to have the, I remember on one Sunday I had five groups of friends to meet, literally bounced from one to the Ah, other. I was late to all of them, let everybody down. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, but that's how I felt, but just felt like I never stopped. gave everything to everyone.
0: Nothing was ever enough. And, you know, every time you reached a a time milestone, it was like, oh, well, I've got to do better. I've got to do better. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I've let that person down. I was 10 minutes late. And then anyway, I just woke up one morning and went, I'm not going to work. And it was the end of November, said I wasn't going to go in because I was actually getting so angry, Chris. That was what my fear was. I was getting so intolerant of people's, Mm. what felt like, like if they couldn't get things right. And it wasn't my team. It was actually the senior people. You know, like if partners couldn't get things right, it fucked me off. Yeah. And I was getting closer to, well, I did tell a few to fuck off and I'd tell them to get a grip and sort the shit out. But I was getting angry and I thought, this isn't who I am. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm an angry Yorkshire woman, but I'm not that angry. I'm not I'm not nasty. Yeah. And I was lo- losing who I was. So I signed, I signed myself off work. But I had a skiing holiday planned and I said, well, I'm still going on my skiing holiday because that's part of my mental health. On the first day, it was really icy and I was skiing and I was amazing I mean I was able to ski every single run I was like that check me out yeah but I was pushing you know the thing I said before about pushing limits and could I do it quicker could I do it sharper could I do it faster could I do it
2: better I
1: did that on a very dangerous run um just left everyone behind took some very suspect decisions um did a jump at the end of it And landed on my head and shoulder and broke my, not myself, unconscious. Wow. And broke my collarbone.
0: That's serious. That could have been a lot worse, although it's bad enough.
1: I mean, I actually think if it had not been, because I felt the impact here and here, I must have gone over. And then I remember waking up, laughing my head off, which is a concussion symptom. yeah And they were trying to pull me by this arm because they said I was in a dangerous position. And I was like, no, 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 it's not working. I didn't even know it was broken. I skied right. down the rest of the mountain holding my arm and then um, got to the bottom where my friend and sister were and they said they knew, that they said the colour of me and they said mm. I was a mess. But I still said, if you just give me five minutes, I just need five minutes and then we'll go back up. Yeah. <laughs> they, they had to take my skis off me because they said I was a risk to myself.
0: Wow, so another big incident there. I mean... <laughs> You talk about these incidences. Obviously, I know I know the the big childhood one choked you up and visibly I I could see that and you mentioned it, but and you mentioned at the start you are feminist as well. I get I get the sense that you've got this real resilience and real drive, but and real kind of steely determination, all this got lots of masculine energy. I know we we like a masculine and feminine energy conversation, which we could talk about as well. I do. <laughs> but talk to me about this feminism. Uh, this feminist thing where did that mm. spring from? what's what's your view
1: where did it spring from I mean that's that's quite an interesting one I came from a family of really strong women um so got, and, and we sort of give birth to women in our family so we're predominantly women and we marry men I mean we've oh, always yeah. we've had we have got women that have married women actually but we, we give birth to women is what I mean yeah Hang on, we give birth to girls that grow up into... In real <laughs> I knew what fashion. you meant.
0: I think people knew what you meant. So. That
1: would be painful if we gave birth to women.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, and, and they were always very strong and independent women, so that's always been positive. Um, mm. But I think, I think where the feminism probably really stems from was... Well, actually, I don't know if I should, if I can go this far back. I think when I was at school, you know, the bullying scenario I talked about. Yeah. One of the yeah. things that I also used to get bullied about was the, and remember I said it was my first boyfriend. So mm. nothing had happened. It wasn't that kind of boyfriend. And they used to call me a slag. Right. And I, I hate those type of gendered sort of insults to somebody.
2: Yeah.
1: And they used to shout it across the schoolyard. And I used to feel horrified. Mm. And I remember my mum used to say to me that you've got to be really careful as a girl. You've, And she was just doing her best, you know, she wasn't, but it sort of turned me the other way. I <laughs> mean, I wasn't careful as a girl. But what I mean is, she used to tell me that I had to be careful as a female yeah, because absolutely. there were men out there that might do X, Y, and Z to me. And I used to hear that. And I used to get called a slag from never having done anything with a boy, but apparently I was a slag. And I used to have all these things, and you'll never lose a bad reputation if you get a bad reputation, all this stuff hearing it. And it was you know mums tell you that type of stuff to protect you that's not Mm. not a bad mum for doing that but it just made me sort of think why am I having to why am I having to change yeah why am I the one that's got to protect this sort of perfect reputation and be the one that gets tarnished for life if I don't so I think that was my first sort of Interest in the how men and women are treated differently. Because mm. if a boy had done that, he'd have been like a lad, wouldn't he? You know, yeah. if, if, a, if a boy went out there and didn't care about his reputation, his sexual reputation. Woo! But not me. As girls, you can't do that. So mm. that was always in my mind. Then um, I say I came from a very strong female family. I did, but they did all the they did a lot of the work in terms of they worked full time. So my grandma worked, my mum worked, my yeah. auntie. They all worked, but then they worked in the home, right? And then they, and I would hear all all the time about your dad's been at work, your granddad's been at work, and I just think so. Have you? Yeah, that was never considered, but so you. it was just all these things that were in my head about the mm. more like the injustices of being female yeah. and how wrong that was. And then my first job, um, actually, before I went to university, I was in a bank, first job just sort of not expecting it to have a career with it and I did really well in my first job on day one smashed the target and sort of thought I can't not smash targets now I've got to be the best remember why Mm. I burned out earlier got to be better 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 Mm -hmm. and I one day found out even though I used to hit my target six months into the year that my best friend who worked there man didn't hit his targets like I did used to earn loads more than me yeah yeah Why? Mm. And he almost laughed. We were having a drink after work. And it was like, I'm a man. Mm. And he found it so funny. You know, he wasn't... And he was my best friend, by the way. So he wasn't... But he was just winding me up. But it wasn't a wind up to me. And it wasn't funny. No, no. And then the next job I went into, I was the top in the country. So not even just in the air. I was top in the country. Smashed all the um, targets. And got, got given a pay rise. Because I was... I'd done really well. Got given a bonus... And there was a guy that I was I was dating. He worked in a completely different part of the country. I was in Don- he was in Peterborough, and so and everyone knew we'd told sort of you know so we'd done all the right things from HR point of view. and he got given a pay rise by one of the senior top top managers, yeah. because what I'd just got given in my pay rise had taken me something like 500 pounds above his. Right. So even though I was top in the country and he was nowhere near.
0: Couldn't be seen to be paid more.
1: <laughs> because how that would definitely undermine his masculinity, wouldn't it? That his girlfriend mm. was earning more money. Who cares that she's better? Who cares that she outperforms him and creates more profit for the business? Yeah. But no, that wasn't okay. And I remember him telling me, laughing, like it was just normal. Mm. So I think they're the sort of stories that I've created who I am that I will not tolerate injustice. based upon the fact that I've got female reproductive organs and you've got male reproductive organs. That's
0: it. I mean, I don't know much about your parents. I'd like to delve into that. But it it does feel, although they were divorced, it does feel they've done a very, very good role with you in terms of instilling what values are and standing up for Mm. principles and standing up for your rights. Would you say that's true? And secondly... Talk to me about the impact of the divorce it had on on your mother and your father and you and your sister and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and that and where you are now with, with your relationship with your parents.
1: Yeah so first question yes absolutely I had a brilliant set of role models. I would say um, my grandma and granddad were as valuable as my mum and dad as well and then I was so lucky that when my parents divorced my mum ended up with a guy who she's with now and my dad's with someone who he's with now still so they've both gone their separate ways but happily with other people mm. and my stepdad is like a different league of human you know we're lucky for him every day he's just a wonderful kind oh. decent man so I sort of think you know in life I was I'm lucky I'm mm. pure lucky so mm. I had incredible role models and I I always sort of used to did, have you read the book The Secret you know The Secret
0: oh, I was yeah. by Rhonda Byrne that was one of the first yeah. kind of personal development books I read about 10 years yeah. ago now I loved it exactly yeah
1: so I remember being down in London and someone said to me Sarah have you read The Secret and at this time I hadn't so I was like no what's that yeah um, and she's like my friend said to me she went it's just this book you've got to read it because you live your life according to the secret it's as if you're operating from that place I was mm. like well, I've got to read it now mm-hmm. and when I read it like page 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 I was like this is the way my granddad brought me up right so it was already him. You know, yeah. he he told me I could be anything I wanted. Remember, I was in, in the late 80s, Margaret Thatcher was in power. Yes. And I was only a little girl. I didn't understand and And I came from a mining family. So, you know, our family didn't actually quite like Margaret Thatcher. But mm. I remember just thinking she was this really powerful woman. She'd come on the news and you knew she was in the room. I mean, you knew yeah, of course. Margaret Thatcher had walked And then I remember talking to my granddad about her and because, and bear in mind, my granddad was a minor, but my granddad never gave me any ill will. He never gave me any feelings of negativity about her, even though it was a minor He could have done. And I remember saying, him talking to me and me saying about how this woman was amazing. And I was probably like nine or 10 Mm. talking about, oh God, granddad, look at her. She's so fantastic. And uh, she just had an energy about her. Um, whether you like her or not, by the way, but forget political, just her demeanour, yeah. yeah. You just knew she'd walked in. And he said to me, you can be anything you want in this world, Cheryl. And I was like, what, even like like a prime minister? Absolutely, even a prime minister. He said, you can go out and you can be anything you want as long as you want it enough. He says, and then go and make it happen. He says, there's nothing that's out of your reach. And that was his, so when I talk about like having great role models, I believe what he told me. Mm. there's no two the, ways about it right
0: the power of of the spoken and the written word and how how much parents influence their children is, is unbelievable isn't it I mean for mm. me for me personally I, I didn't have as uh my parents were all over the shop you know a bit about that but it, it kind of like where I am now as, as, a, as a coach I kind of evolved into it over the last couple of years but I think back I've probably been a coach in some form since I was about three years old when my when my mum left me because I was a a coach to my own bloody dad but anyway in real in real form I kind of got there in 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 a different way with yourself and I've had things like uh, you know uh, lack of self-worth and uh, imposter syndrome all that kind of stuff on the outside you seem very self-assured and you are but talk to me about how you've arrived where you are because it's not it's never a straight line is it you don't just become a coach where you're influencing people's lives you've obviously gone for your own journey to, to yeah, yeah to, to get to to have the confidence to do it but my experience is that some of the best coaches are the ones that do or do go through the stuff they're coaching their coachees as well
1: yeah so uh we, I mean, we've touched on this before as well and, and just recently about the mindset work that you've got to do. And some people are going, oh, mindset, here they go. Mm. Now, the top athletes in the world have a strong mindset, they cool. have a controlled mindset. Yeah. So what, where, whichever walk of life you come from, it's not bollocks, it, it's a fact. Mm. Get a grip, get a grip of your own mentality Perfect. and you will succeed. Mm. Now, can I say I've always had a grip of mine? No. I tell you what I have always had, an ability to get back there. But what I've been focusing on is how I get that back there quicker. So the the most traumatic thing that I I experienced within the workplace was um, sexual harassment and bullying. Now, to one degree or another, if we had like a spectrum of it, I would probably say in the vast majority of all my workplaces, I've experienced some form of sexual either discrimination or harassment. Wow. But some could be like so mild Mm. that, I wouldn't even lose sleep over it. However, the one that I'm going to tell you about, and the reason I'm telling you about this is from the mentality point of view Mm -hmm. and what I had to do to get around it was where I got pinned to a wall by my hair. So I had my hair tied back and they would get hold of my ponytail and on a chair like this, pull me. So I was almost pulled over the back of it. And bear in mind, I was in senior leadership team. I was the boss, the the manager of this huge, huge bank. Mm -hmm. Um, he was a flagship branch and so I was pretty senior you know and I'm not saying that seniority shouldn't mean that you know <laughs> of and that course. people don't get a of to their ass nobody should be but this was somebody on my team and he was huge Chris he was a, mm. such a big man like physically big yeah uh, he used to call me and again sorry I'm going to swear and disclaimer go for about, it uh, he used to call me Miss Faked Tits I don't have fake tits <laughs> not that I have a problem with that <laughs> either but I didn't know where it came from Like, oh here she is Miss Faked Tits how is was the fucking boss and he used to do this to wow. me. Um, and I and one more... And this went on for about 12 to 18 months. And one thing, one last thing that I'll tell you that he did to me is running downstairs, we had a staff room downstairs and I'm running down because I, I, I can't walk anywhere because I've got to fit more in. So I'm running downstairs. Yeah. <laughs> and as I walked into the staff room, there's this guy here, a guy here, and a guy sat down. And the guy sat down was on my team. Mm. Uh, well, they were all on my team, but he was this young kid as well, he's eating his sandwiches like this and he looked terrified. He looked up at me and he was hunched over and these two huge men looking down at him. So you know when you know you've just walked into something? Yeah. Something's happening. Of course. So I like, look, and one of them was, was one that was sexually harassing me. And I looked in and I was like, everything okay? And I just felt there was something not right and said to the guy, I said, are you okay? And he was so timid and he was like, mm-hmm. And I just made up a lie. I went. I said, "I think you're block- you're late back from your lunch," because I just wanted to give him an out, you know, to get him. Because I just felt I felt choked by the oppression yeah. in the room. Yeah. I said to him, right, you're late back off your lunch." And he went, "Oh, sorry, Cheryl. Put your stuff away." And I just like looked and carried on, walked out. Later that evening, now with a bank, you need two people to lock up because there's fan- there's money on the. You know, So you always have to have yeah. two independent people with two keys. Yeah. So as a the leader of the bank, I used to be the one that would stay with someone else. So. This kid came up to me, I shouldn't call him a kid really, but this guy that worked for me, and he Mm. said, can I ask you something? And he was so nervous. He was like, yeah, of course. But can you make me a promise? I was like, if I can, why? What's the matter? Promise me you'll never stay alone with this person. Now, I didn't like him anyway, because he used to be horrible. He used to hurt me. He used to put his hand up my dress. Um, And by the way, I never tolerated it. So whenever he did these things, I would be absolutely, you cannot put your hand on me right away from me so i never backed down to him
0: but he still he kept doing it anyway by the sounds of it
1: oh yeah definitely Right, right. um and he used to say things like i say describe my body and talk about my body in front of yeah. people yeah say what he'd like to do and and i'd always go stop enough you know but i actually think he likes the fight with me
2: yeah you
1: know so i tried it a number of different ways i tried to ignore him i tried anyway so this guy said to me promise you'll never be alone with him and i was like absolutely not I've got no intention of being there I said why was the matter and he went I can't tell you but promise me you'll never be in this place alone with him and it really you know when it actually at the time gave me shivers because I thought what's he heard downstairs what have they said they're going to do yeah and I was like I promise you I won't and he was shaking he was like visibly shaking yeah I'm like are you okay do you need anything and he was like I'm okay so I just so that's just to give you a flavour of what was happening to me at the time. Now, yeah. I'm telling you this in mm. this way. Yeah. I would go home and I would almost run. Do you remember that thing about the burnout coming yeah. where I would measure how long it took me? Yes, yeah. from the tube station to my flat, run up the stairs to my flat, lock the door and have to, I almost turned like a bit OCD, had to check it was blocked.
2: Yes, of Because course. I
1: felt like I wasn't protected otherwise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I felt like they could get to me. Yeah. And then if friends would say to me, do you want to go out and I'd make arrangements and then I'd cancel because I didn't dare go out my flat and getting out of bed in the morning to get ready for work. I remember once, and this is going to make me sound, you know, and I shouldn't use the words like crazy, but that's how I felt like I was going mm-hmm. crazy. laid in bed. And my boyfriend said, Cheryl, you're getting up. You've got to go to work. And I was trying to keep it all inside. He knew what was happening, but I was trying to keep how mm-hmm. much it was hurting me inside.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I remember saying to him, just, I said, I said, do you know, if you told me, this could make me cry. I said, do you know if you told me there was someone sat on my back? And he went, Yeah, I went, I believe you. He went, what do you mean? Because it sounds like a really weird thing to say that, doesn't it? I went, Yeah, I can't move. I said, I can't get up. And he was like, just get up. Are you hurt? Are you, you know, he thought I'd been, yeah. I went, I can't do this. Right. Wow. Can't go. And he was like, Con, you can, you can. And I went. And then I'd lose my temper with him. I felt, I physically could feel the pressure on my back. Like, I promise, if someone had said this, someone sat on you, I'd have gone, Oh God, that's what I can feel. I physically felt it, not just mentally. There was something pinning me to the bed. Mm. And I kept thinking, and now I'm going to tell you things that I haven't told many people. I I used to catch a tube and a train to work. And I can't ever imagine feeling like this now. But I used to stand at the end of the train platform. And I used to think, I would never have, I could never have done anything myself because I knew my mum would blame herself. Yeah. I knew she would hate if I, if I, I couldn't see a way out of this feeling. Mm. So I used to think, just push me. Someone just push me mm-hmm. and then I can fall there
2: mm.
1: and my mum can't blame herself. She can't feel like she let me down. She didn't know. It's just an accident. Yeah. People just talk it off as one of those things. Yeah. But then this this not knowing how to get out of this will end and that went on for a period of time me and my boyfriend almost we ended up splitting up over it because he was so angry about what was happening and mm. I had it, it felt like really isolating I also didn't have many friends down there because I would just moved down to London so I didn't have my friends and family and um in the end and and and, and sorry just to before I get to the end and the mental torture I put myself through because I started to question. Whether I'd asked for it somehow?
0: Yeah, of
1: course. Like, is there something about my character mm. that encourages men to think that they're okay to put their hands on me? Mm. What is it about me? And I used to wear a dress because I was—I didn't have to wear a uniform. I would wear a dress, and you know, I worked in a bank. I never wore anything that was, you know, yeah. my boobs out. Of course, but I wore—but even if I did, then my breasts are not yours. Yeah, but I wore a dress that just showed my like neck here. Hmm. And after I left that company, I would never wear low cut stuff. And most people, and no one ever knew the reason why I always wore a black turtleneck for work. Of course, I felt I had to protect myself. Of course, because they breached so many of my boundaries. Yeah. So you start with all this. Have I done something to deserve this? Have I asked for it? And I'm quite a tactile person. So if we were in the same room, I might stand next. You know, as I walk past, I might put my hand on your shoulder. Yeah. And then I thought. And I rarely, I wasn't like that in this bank because I was so apprehensive about being hurt. But I thought, have I maybe asked for it in another way? Have I made other people feel uncomfortable because I've been, because t- I'm a mm. touch person. Sure. Have I somehow brought this about? This is my lesson. I've just, You go through this whole thing and it never leaves you.
0: It never would, um, it never would. But I mean, that again, that's a, a horrific uh, situation thank you so much for having the courage to talk about that you didn't have to say can I tell anything.
1: you what happened at the end though by the way
0: please do yeah
1: um I took them to court I, I tried to resolve it I tried to resolve it in an amicable way until I went to HR and said I don't want this yeah to continue lots more happened by the way that I haven't even got to tell you and it's a long very long story but I eventually found the courage to ask for help and and I think that's the really important lesson here because I didn't know how to fix this myself. I was at the end of my resourcefulness, which I yes. normally have. So I asked for help. Help wasn't forthcoming quickly because I asked the wrong person, the wrong person, but I kept asking until I found the right person for someone to come in and show me what to do and how to fix this. And I, the person I ended up finding was an incredible employment lawyer who yeah. fixed it for me. And we went to court... Um, and I got, I mean, not, not an awful lot, but I got paid out and I was, yeah. but then I still had to leave the company. I still left. But again, I then went on to a new company where I met some of the most incredible male leaders I've ever met in my entire life. And I, to this day, thank the universe for them because they healed yes. my, the wounds that I had with men at that point. Well, I could see that well, men could be amazing and incredible and yes weren't willing
0: to hurt me I mean that again I mean the way that you describe it and how how you kind of had the courage to stand up for yourself and not just for yourself but probably for a lot of other women in that situation as well and uh yeah you know, uh, it sounds like it was it went on for quite a while and it's kind of like uh, a consistent thing that was that was that was uh protracted over a period of time but was was there anything in particular that can you remember around the catalyst for you to go and to speak to somebody? Or was it just was it just did you reach reach a certain point? Um I mean what, what was that was that your darkest moment would you say as well?
1: I think the I'd say it's my darkest moment of my life, yeah. Mm. Um and I think standing on the platform and thinking those thoughts for a sustained period of time. Yeah i I knew that that was that I couldn't that could that wasn't healthy no. I knew it wasn't healthy and um and I also knew that nobody this is I think important as well. this is not a criticism of the people that were around me at the time, but none of my friends and family could fix this for me mm. I was going to the wrong people for yeah. help, I needed professional help yeah and I couldn't put the burden of what was happening so I told my don't get me wrong I told people that loved me you know that were close to me what was happening but I couldn't ask them to fix this because what resources did they have to fix this yeah so we often go to our friend and then when they don't have the right answer it's our friend's fault no go to someone who knows
0: I I can totally see why you are what you are now you're this inspiring coach um because it feels there's been three, four, five occasions in your life where you've just literally, you have had to stand on your own two feet and, you know, David versus Goliath, or you've had to conquer that most horrendous adversity on your own and then show that bravery. And it's that kind of stuff. I mean, you can talk, we can talk about coaches having qualifications and, you know, going on various courses. But I think the best coaches are like you, the ones that have had that lived experience and, and that they can articulate that th- through their coaching and mm. uh, onto their coachees. And w- w- what's your view around how you've, all those experiences have actually made you the, the person and the coach you are today, I'd say?
1: Well, they definitely have. And I'm a, an experiential coach. So yeah. if somebody came to me and said, can you coach me on x and it's something i would not done and not been I would be really transparent about that because I I think it's really important for someone to have walked yep. in those shoes
2: definitely
1: now, I'm not saying you can't lift and shift tools and techniques mm-hmm. up onto other mm-hmm. things because you can mm-hmm. and I'm living proof of that because I've done that repeatedly in my life I've always you know as yeah. a leader I always used to say it didn't matter what the product was I'm a leader I'm a natural mm-hmm. born leader so put mm-hmm. me anywhere and I'll be able to lead I don't need to know what the thing is yeah the industry or whatever. And I do think to a degree it's the same with coaching, but my comfort zone um, and what I'm an expert in is what I coach on. And that's my own experiences.
0: So, as we kind of draw to a conclusion, what would you say your kind of north star? What's your purpose? What's your why at the moment?
1: My why? I mean, it's, it's, it's allowing humans to be a full version of themselves and be heard and seen without any apology. Yeah. And I think within business you can turn up as your full fucking amazing self and still be successful and st- and a business can still be profitable. Yeah. We don't have to drag each other down. No. And it's about it sounds a really sort of bit of a glib answer that communication. I think communication can it can solve everything. Effective communication and none of us we're all shown how to talk but none of us are trained on how to communicate. Yes. And communication yes. is more than the words you say. Totally. it's so much more it's 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 the words you don't say it's why do you choose that word over that one why do you look that way why do you look to the left instead of to the right why do you scratch your head when you say that why do you fold your arms it's the verbal and the non-verbal if we all got much better at reading and speaking to each other and communicating with each other the world would be a much healthier place and that's what I care about
0: I love that it's it's it's, it's not what you say sometimes it's how and sometimes by just listening and demonstrating the empathy you know we've always said together that The answer in someone is always usually within we don't always is yeah you know in terms of as we wrap up then what tips would you provide anybody um who's going through adversity or who wants to change their career or or just just in life in general what would you say
1: well I think one of the biggest things that I was taught that's another story for another day by my granddad though, it was about having courage when other people don't. So we often think that what we're going through at that time is the biggest and the most horrific thing ever. Mm. And it's often not. I know that even with the things I've told you about, they're often not, you know, the, yeah. the things that will come later down the line. So it's about finding the courage. It's about finding that you're actually not alone because you always think you're the only one suffering with that thing at that time. Yeah. So find a network, be around people, ask for help, speak up, and the thing that you're afraid of is actually the thing that will 100% set you free. As cheesy as that sounds, yeah, it's very always true. the case. Always very, very the case.
0: True. That's the thing, you know. It's just it's about leaning into that fear, isn't it? It's, and it, it can be even things like on a macro level. Like I've started to do cold showers. I know that sounds a bit tame but once I've started to do that and it's kind of like breaking through that and then once I've done that it translates into lots of other stuff like public speaking and building a business it, you know it's about I think it's about getting into doing doing habits that you're not comfortable with and then that can lead to bigger habits you're not comfortable with eventually you're doing stuff that you just never thought you'd do.
1: And, and it, you're absolutely bang on because it's the momentum of it. So, mm. one, so you know, like somebody once said to me, when you've got a to-do list, how do you avoid not procrastinating or getting into a bit of a... Yeah. And I often pick a really easy task to do. Yeah. Something that I either I'll enjoy sleep. or something that's easy. Exactly, because you then go, just done it. Oh. So then do the next one. And do it immediately. You know, like, I'm all for taking breaks. So I'm not saying, like, never stop working. But when you've achieved something, it's normally good to try and achieve the next thing, like the bigger thing, because you're already in a winner's mentality. So, exactly. So the cold shower will lead on to something else. It's the momentum of achieving that you've got there.
0: I'm absolutely uh excited and thrilled i mean we could have talked for a lot longer that was so that was so so exciting so interesting to know more about you and maybe we can do a follow-up but um Mm -hmm. where can people i guess on linkedin but where where can people find you and how would you summarize you know what you do as well before you go
1: um so where can people find me i'm definitely on linkedin every day all day on linkedin (laughs) um i'm on other social media so i'm on facebook and instagram but linkedin's my place i have a website so it's cheryl um cheryl obviously com. yes um, so yeah people can get me there and what do i do i predominantly do one-to-one private coaching i do mm. group coaching as well with women and yeah. i do corporate coaching so businesses get in contact with me and they pay for my services for their yeah. team um or teams and i do training sessions as well so i go in and i do sort of leadership and development team development and yeah. communication yeah. training and I do webinars quite a lot as well. So there's free um, webinar resources that I do.
0: Fantastic. Well, I'm looking well, forward, I'm looking forward to doing more collaboration with you because I think we get on really well. Yeah. We've got very similar mindsets. I can't thank you enough. Uh, thank you so much, and uh, looking forward to speaking to you again soon.
1: Brilliant. Thank you very much for having me. Little podcaster, you. There we
0: go. <laughs> the Purpose Led Leadership Podcast is sponsored by Cherry. Vincheri are all-in-one CRM and ATS platform, purpose-built for recruitment and staffing agencies. I chose to partner with Vincheri because honestly, I'm a customer. They keep me competitive, plug into my calendar and email, and make the whole admin part of my job as a recruiter a hell of a lot easier. The Purpose and Leadership Podcast list to get 25% of Vinceris onboarding. So if you're looking for a recruitment CRM to accelerate your growth, check them out at vincherry.io forward slash Chris O'Connell.